Catching up with some of the people who shaped the station 2WG over the course of its 90 years and one of those who is familiar to many, not just for his radio work but probably for his TV work as well, is Tony Pritchard and he joins us now. G'day Tony. Good morning Lee, how are you doing? Very well. Now of course a lot of people will be familiar with you for your TV work mm. but of course you spent a lot of time um, with 2WG. Yeah, I spent uh, nearly six years at 2WG. I came here uh, the start of 1982 uh, WG decided to go 24 hours. They needed a, bit, a mid-dawn announcer, so I was lucky enough to score that job. And, yeah, came here doing mid-dawns and well, progressed through the shifts. I did brekkie mornings, uh, the whole lot, including calling Group 9 Rugby League for a couple of years. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. What are some of your favourite memories of your of your time with 2WG? It was a lot of fun. Um, back in that, uh, well, I'm going to sound like an old dinosaur, I suppose, but <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of camaraderie. It was good fun. You know, we, we used to go down to, for drinks at Rom's on a Friday night after after work. And oh, even back in those days, we used to actually have a, a Friday night drink, which they don't do anymore because obviously OH&S and, yeah. and duty of care. Um, so they, you know, we'd have a couple of drinks and rock down to Rom's and roll home at midnight. <laughs> yeah. It was just, just a good social environment and... Uh, uh, although it's, uh, I suppose it's competitive in a lot of ways, you, with announcers and egos and whatever. But um, it, it was just good fun, um, a great learning area. Or uh, announcing wise, it was just terrific training here. It was all WG always had a great name as being um, an area to come or a station to come to start your career, and um, it's proven that way. There's a lot of great announcers come through here, and I'd I'd put that back to people like Mel Brentnell. Uh, Mel was a, a stalwart of 2WG. When I arrived at WG, Mel was uh, almost at retirement age, so he was the community service director, but prior to that, uh, he um, employed people like John Brennan, and John went on to become one of the greats of yeah. the Australian radio industry. And, uh, Mel gave me some great advice uh, for rugby league calling because obviously Mel, was he was a, a referee in his day and, and, and obviously Greg Brentnell's dad. Yeah. So he, he had a, a great knowledge of rugby league. So he, you know, there were people around you that were really willing to help and, and guide you, which was terrific. Yeah, and I think that's something that I've found in my time here as well. Mm. It's like you've just got such great mentors who mm. are able to help you through and get you through those awkward first years on air. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd had 12 months at 5RM in Berry, so I was still very much a new kid on the block. And, yeah, it took a while. Um, but, again, yes, that guidance was always there. And, and back in those days, we had a, an operations manager when I first started, a fellow by the name of Greg Skye, who employed me. And we'd do air checks every two or three weeks. So yeah. we'd take the show and go and sit down and they'd tell you the good and the bad and yeah. the ugly. <laughs> Don't worry, they still do that. Yeah, there's always plenty of ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, you must have the same air checker yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But again, yeah. it was good. It was good good grounding, good training. What are some of your um, favourite on-air memories? What are some of the things that stick out in Ooh, your time here? Um, one, one of the funniest ones I can remember is after graduating from doing mid-dawns, I became the 12 to 3 announcer and read Breakfast News. <laughs> And so we'd sit in the studio next to the, the on-air studio to read the, the breaking news. And I had a little booth right down the other end of the building that um, I'd just write some national headlines to read after the, the local news and then do the weather. And anyway, one morning I left the weather report down in the, the other studio and I didn't realise till I'd started reading the bulletin that I didn't have the weather report and I, you know, I couldn't remember it. So I thought, OK, clever boy. And you used to play your own carts for the uh, news drops. Yeah. So... There was about a 35-second grab there, so I thought I played that, sprinted down the end of the building, grabbed the weather report, <laughs> ran back and sat down. I thought, well, that's fine. And then 
you know, within about 10 seconds, the news grab had finished, and I started reading the next story, and I started hyperventilating. <laughs> and, and, it, and it was a story about a young a young girl who'd been killed in an accident. Oh, no. That was horrible. And, um, <laughs> 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 and anyway, I got through it. Um, and I, I, you know, I ran into a couple of people later in the day, and they said, oh, did you know that young girl? Oh. And I said, oh, no, no, it's... I told them the story. I said it was just one of those unfortunate things. Yeah, yeah, it was funny, but it wasn't funny. Yeah, um, actually, <laughs> I'll tell you quite a funny one. This goes back to the days at Five RM in Berry. As a courtesy, we used to queue up the. This is when we were using records. Yeah, as you'd well know. Yeah, we used to um, queue up the the first record for the guy that came on the next shift. Yeah, as a courtesy, and so he could come in and away go. So I've I've queued up this song for him, and uh, unaware that he had to read funeral funeral announcements. Oh no, and uh, so yeah. Uh, so he read the uh, funeral announcement straight into the music, and uh, "Spirit in the Sky" was the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So didn't live that one down either. No, I can imagine. I can imagine not. Um, you were mentioning some of the people you've worked with. Who mm. are some of the um, people who you've got fond memories of from um, TWG over the time that Ooh. you were here? Ooh, lots. Um, Peter Brennan was great. Pete was doing brekkie when. Oh no, sorry, he was doing nights when I arrived, and then he went on to brekkie. And um, and then shortly after that's when I went on to do the uh, breakfast news reading. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Pete and I had a, a great association. He was a, he was a brilliant announcer and just a a very funny guy. And we used to have a chat after the um, seven and eight o'clock news of a morning. Pete would always crack a joke. So I, I was his straight man, and yeah, he used to you know take the uh, Mickey out of me. <laughs> and it was quite amazing that uh, you know back in those days people would actually tune in at. You know, five past eight or five past seven, five past eight to hear the joke. Yeah. It was quite incredible. And so he built up such a, a, a great following. He was such a great communicator too. So, uh, yeah, lots of fond memories of, of Pete. He went on to do some great things. He was he produced the original MTV show on telly. Um, he was a program manager at AAA in Adelaide, the talk show. He was program manager at 2UE for a while, 2GB. Yeah. yeah so, and, and his dad, John Brennan, was, and then, again, he's a... Absolute legend, legend of the industry, and, yeah. And a great man too. But did he hear Pete and hear John, they sounded, you know, obviously uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It <laughs> sounded so much alike on air, it was amazing. Yeah. But Pete was great. We we had, uh, uh, speaking of Pete, Peter Marnie was the uh, news director when I arrived. And Pete, anybody that knows Pete, he's a real character and just a just a, a terrific guy, a wonderful person. And Pete was always fun to work with, never a dull moment. And and a good mentor too, because he had some um, quite successful journos started their careers with him. Basically, uh, Damien Ryan for one, yeah, and uh, also Adam Walters. Adam had wor- worked previously at the Advertiser, but he came to do his. I think he did a cadetships with Peter at um, TWG, and he went on to bigger and better things, and are still going strong. Uh, Lofty Fulton, yeah, Ian Fulton, the uh, voiceover man from. Uh, now based in Sydney, Lofty does voiceovers for 2GB, uh, I think My Kitchen Rules. You'll hear his voice all over the place. He's just a, a beautiful, beautiful, yeah. uh, rich, just resonant, yeah. Oh, yeah, gorgeous. Uh, Paul Davies, another guy who a lot of people most probably wouldn't remember from, from Wagga, but Paul did Brecky here for a little while. Um, he was a very good um, impersonator, uh, character voices. And Paul these days is in Brisbane. He's the top voiceover man up there. It's interesting, a lot of uh, you know, very talented people have gone through over the years. That's just in my short time there. Um, and I know prior to uh, my time there, a guy, Richard King, who was a pretty well-known name in radio, went through. And oh, there's lots of others, but I'm just not sure off the top of my head. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I think the biggest memory is just it was fun. Yeah. What did you enjoy most about your time on air? What was it that uh, that really stoked the fire? Because it's one of those things where it becomes a passion rather than just a oh, job. You do yeah. it for the love of the job. Yeah. And as we were, I was showing you a couple of my pay slips earlier, so <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious that it was for love, not yeah. for, for the money. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, I only got into radio by accident, so we've got time to... Yeah, absolutely. We've got time to do whatever we want. Long involved story. I'll give you the quick work career. Started Left school at 15, started off the Commonwealth Bank, did a trade as a greenkeeper, bowling, bowling clubs, uh, worked for a landscape gardener for a while, and while I was landscape gardening, I went on a holiday to Tamworth where I was born. I hadn't been back since I was born, so I went to just have a look, and through some strange coincidence, I met the... The race caller, uh, Des King was his name. He was a sports broadcaster for 2TM and also, um, I don't know what the television station was, so I can't remember his name, but he was he did both television and radio out there. I met him, became friends, went back to visit a couple of times. One time back there, I met the radio announcer. We, we were having lunch and I, we were just talking, because I love music, I was yeah. into music. And we talked and he invited me to sit and watch his show. I did that and I thought, how good is this? Yeah. Had a lot of fun. And he said, well, when you go back to Sydney, There'll be a radio school there, you know, make a call and see how you go. Anyway, it took me 18 months to work up the courage to, to do it, but I, I rang Max Rowley and went and did a course at Max Rowley's for 12 months and, um, yes, ended up at uh, Berry and then Wagga. Fantastic. So that's the, the, the brief history. But I, to get back to your original question, sorry, I sidetracked a bit. The beauty thing for me was I just loved sitting in the telephone box playing the music. That was it. That was the attraction. Uh, the hardest thing I found when I started in radio was going out and comparing things and being seen in public because that wasn't me. I didn't. Yeah. That's not what I got in it for. Yeah. And I, I really battled with that. Like, I can remember, oh, actually, I'll give you a classic example. When I started Max's, uh, it was November. In the December, we had yearly forum. So everybody that is involved in the radio and television school at Max Rowley's had to get on stage and do something. And I just had a, a little part he'd. He, he wrote the whole scripts and everything. But I can remember my legs were shaking. I was yeah. absolutely petrified. And uh, it took a long while to, to sort of get over that. Yeah. It's such a different mm. feel from sitting and talking to one other person or a couple of other people in a studio yes. to, yeah. in front of a crowd. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think people understand the fact that, um, you know, they just expect you to be able to go out and do things from a comparing point of view when yeah. that's, not what, that's not you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. But yeah. again, you, you just, you've got to uh, work your way through those. I've seen some amazing photos from over the mm. years from, um, and one that we were talking about a moment ago is with the drifters here yes. as the 2WG Gold Key. What were these about? Uh, the Gold Key was, uh, it was a, a night to give back to advertisers. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of a, in a similar vein to what the MTC do with the Gold Cup. Uh, people that buy sponsorship packages that are then entitled to this big gala function at the end of the end of the time. It might be three months or six months, whatever. The, and as a reward, they were invited to this really plush dinner and, and top line act. And that's um, that's that was the uh, the drifters back in that day. And it was also the opening of the I think it was called the Coca Cabana nightclub back in back in the day. Yeah. And it, it was a new thing for Wagga too because they brought obviously high cl- high profile acts like that. To Wagga and it was, I think it was thirty bucks, and you got a meal and drinks and the show. Fantastic! Yeah. So that was the mid eighties. And I see the um, they had the uh, New Year's Eve parties going on. Yeah, that, um, I remember well, really one of those. I, I, I don't know whether they did it every year, but uh, yeah, that was a big night. But it was fancy dress and um, 
anybody could go. They just had to um, buy a ticket and yeah. uh, away you went. So, yeah, they were good fun. Do you remember what you dressed as? Um, yes. I have a photo somewhere at home. Um, I was a uh, – my wife went as a harem girl. So I was whatever the equivalent to a harem girl is. Fantastic. <laughs> the yeah. harem guy. The harem boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what you call it. It was something from Ali Barber and the 40 Thieves. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was scary. And I always enjoyed looking back, and I think it tells a story. You talk about your music, and I think mm. it tells a story of the um, the stations as the eras go go on. There's a great, a great article you've got of 2WG doing the A to Z of Beatles mm-hmm. countdown over the long weekend. Just amazing some of these promotions and some of these oh, specials brilliant. that got that yeah. got run. Um, what are some of the ones that you remember? Uh, one of the ones I really uh, enjoyed the most was it was a, a Australia Day. And I, actually, I just did. It was it was an interesting one. We we had a program manager leave, and there's nobody running the ship. So one Australia Day, I just decided to play Australian content all day, which was hadn't been done and and that was just good fun and and the feedback we got was amazing so uh, we had 24 hours of all Oz music it was brilliant they were always into those promotional things with um, the Beatles we you know the top albums the top 500 songs the top thousand songs of all time so they were very uh, you know the management was very um, aware that you had to keep promoting the product yeah and and that's what it was all about it was about getting community involvement you know, people would come, they'd write in and vote. Back in those days, they'd write in you <laughs> yeah. text. So um, there was also all, all those sort of competitions happening and, uh, on a regular basis, and they're very successful. What are some of the community events that you remember? I know that um, people, people have spoken about the connection that the stations had with mm. the community over the years. Mm. What are some of the, the ones where mm. you remember getting out and about? One of the most successful ones I think we did and, and innovative ones back in the day was the Gummy Race. Um, and we we had people stationed at various points along the river. Yeah. And so we, you know, the, the start at, um, where did they start at? Yanoni. Yanoni Bridge, Yanoni yeah. Bridge. So we'd have people there. We'd have people on a, on a, on a craft yeah. going down the river. We'd have somebody at the beach at Wiradjuri. And the most uh, amazing one was Jeff O'Brien, who many people would remember used to do talkback back in the early 80s here at WG. Jeff O was a pilot. So he went up in the plane and, and, and did crosses from the plane. So it was, and it was all synchronised, so we'd go from one to the other to the other. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. How did you, like, obviously the days well before mobile phones, mm. which is nowadays you just pick up your mobile phone and call in yeah. to do that. What was the, what was the technology? To, uh, to two-way radio. Two-way radio? Yeah, we had yeah. two-way backpacks we'd carry, and Jeff had one up in the plane, and obviously they had one on the boat. Yeah. And so obviously you just have to do your... You know, everybody had the obvious call sign when they'd finished their cross. And yeah. The next person would just jump straight in and just had to be careful on your timing with the clicks, otherwise it'd be too much static. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that worked like that's that's. Um, I, I thought that was pretty clever. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Just talking about the river, and this is a story I don't know where I've heard it, but I'm I'm going to ask anyway. I've heard the rumor that the famous walk of five o'clock wave mm-hmm. was an invention of an announcer on Two WG. Mm. That rings a bell vaguely, but I couldn't tell you who it was. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I think you may be right. I'm on a mission to track this down. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Not sure there. So, but no, it's just it's such an incredible story. Now, when did you finish up with um, Two WG? Because you then obviously had the had a long time uh, career in television mm. here as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I finished at 
WG in 87 yeah. and went to RVN2 as it was back then doing voiceovers and community affairs program called About Town. It was a half hour show we used to have on Monday to Friday. Yeah. Just interviewing local people or visiting celebrities or whatever. You know, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't in depth, but it was just a bit of fun. Just, just very light. It was, not, yeah. it, was, it was good fun. So I did the voiceovers and, uh, and also that show. And then when aggregation came in in the 90s, well, early 90s, when it was talked about, that had a, a huge transformation to regional television, obviously. And it meant that, um, I'll give you the example at the time, the lady that was reading the news wasn't a journo. She worked in accounts, uh, Tina Amy's. And um, Tina was leaving because her hubby was in the army band and they were transferring out. But what they decided was that they wanted uh, a journo to read the news. And I wasn't a journo, but I went and had a chat to the the boss back then, uh, Tony Cook. And I, I'd done a little bit of work for Pete Marnie, uh, just doing voiceover stuff at the news stories and you know, writing scripts and bits and pieces and rewriting press releases for them and stuff like that. So anyway, that was enough to get me a start. And uh, luckily under the... Uh, the guidance of Sandra Firth and later Doug Hogan, um, I sort of learnt the ropes of uh, being a journo and and then progressed to full-time news reading. Initially, it wasn't full-time. It was just doing weekends to fill in when I was working as a journo. But um, it was just uh, one of those opportune things that happened. It wasn't wasn't a goal. And, and funnily enough, I remember when I was at Max, Rady's, uh, Max Rowley's radio school in Sydney in the early days when I, I did a course at Max's, and I thought, I never want to read, I'd never want to be a journalist and I never want to read news. <laughs> and you know, 15 years later, what am I doing? It's amazing how <laughs> life turns out, isn't it? It is funny. It is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I could never see myself doing that. Because it just, you know, as I say, I, I, I wanted to sit in the telephone box and play records. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be out there. Didn't want to be known. <laughs> yeah. But, and, then, uh, and then suddenly. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you grow. Yeah, and, and it changes and mm. what, your, what your interests are change. And, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and circumstances change, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, I had a young family by this stage and uh, things have certainly changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Tony, it's been a pleasure catching up. Any final memories, anything that you would like to, like to share about your time at 2WG? Oh, again, it's... <laughs> it's just so so many things. Again, the thing that sticks in my mind, it was just fun. Yeah. It just was just good fun and good people. And still is. And yeah, still hits, is. Hits and memories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Pritchard, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Lee.